Hey, my name is Parker Manuel, pastor of Pinewood Church in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. Hope you enjoy today's podcast. The title of today's message is The Pursuit of Perfection. You're like, yeah, all the OCD people in the room are like, this is my kind of sermon. It's about time somebody's going to affirm the fact that I obsess and compulse over things. So you're in for a rude awakening, okay? Just want to let you know. I think in our context especially, but in the world, I think that we're all trying to pursue this level of perfection. Let's call them Let's call them happy days. There's almost this like pursuit of every day is a happy day. And so we're all trying to check all of the boxes from physical health to emotional, spiritual, to adventure, to relationships. And so we think to ourselves, if I could just pursue this level of perfection and check all of the boxes, I'm going to live a satisfied, fulfilled, joyful, significant life. So we try and we pursue, and we pursue, and we pursue the happy days. And for some reason, we keep coming back to this gap that's in our life. Why am I not as happy as I feel like I should be? I have money. Why am I not as happy as I should be? I feel good. I'm healthy. Well, because at the end of the day, no matter how much wealth you have or health, at the end of the day, when you're just sitting in a hammock looking out of the mountains, you are still left with your own thoughts, your own soul, your own raw emotions. And for many people, that when they have all of the exterior in check, that is the most scary place that people tend to find themselves. Which is why you'll see a lot of people, when they start to find themselves in that season where they're having too much time to just slow down and really think about their own thought thoughts and their own life, you'll see them make a transition. You'll see them make a move. Because why? I'm uncomfortable being here, but maybe this will make me comfortable over here. And so you see people jump from hobby to hobby, career to career, town to town. Because why? Because I just I don't want to settle in my own reality. I don't want to settle in my own thoughts. Because surely there's this pursuit that's out there, a box that I've yet to check, that once I check it, then I'll be happy. It's the pursuit of happiness. It's the pursuit of perfection. And it's something that I honestly deal with myself. Uh, I like to tell people I don't struggle with OCD or perfection. I have fully embraced it. It's who I am. It is, I'm, I'm proud, I'm proud of my OCD nonsense. <laughs> but it's true, I, I, I actually pride myself so much in the pursuit of perfection that I named my first company Perfection Painting. That we would deliver the perfect job every single time. And most of the time, I think we did a pretty good job. But everybody knows, nothing's perfect. No matter how hard you strive, no matter how hard you pursue it, at the end of the day, you're still going to fall short in some area. Is that true? That's the passage we're going to be looking at today that speaks directly to the reality of falling short. We're starting a new series today. It's a three-part series, and I think it's going to help us answer the question that we all have asked at some point in our life. It is, what are we here for? What are we here for? If not the checking the boxes, if not the pursuit of a career or an XPR or a new hobby, 
new relationship. At the end of the day, whenever we truly find that all of these temporary things are not satisfying our deepest longing, what are we here for? Surely, surely God has put you on this planet for something bigger than yourself. I believe it's true, and I believe God's word speaks directly to that. So the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at what are we here for. Let's go ahead and turn our attention to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at two verses today. Romans in three weeks? Are you kidding me? This could be an entire year conversation in this book of the Bible, but because we're working through the entire New Testament, I got three weeks. We're going to move through it extremely quickly. Romans 3, verses 23 through 24. Before I read it, I want to read you this quote by C.S. Lewis to kind of set the tone for the message. It says this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I'm going to read that again. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, no desire, no new career, no new relationship, no new, no new, new, new. But nothing in this world seems to satisfy this deeper longing in my heart. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I love that. Let's turn to Romans chapter 3, 23 through 24. It says this. For all have sinned. Everybody say sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. They are justified, everybody say justified, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So I want to start off by having a conversation around sin and the truths of scripture and how we all fall short. Aren't you glad you chose to come to church this Sunday? We're talking about sin. We're digging our heels into the sin in your life. I think it's going to be really good because what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the bad, the ugly, and we'll end with the good, okay? So this isn't the good, bad, and the ugly. We're going to go bad, ugly, and we're going to end with the good. I promised it was going to be good news as we wrap up. But I need somebody. I need a helper. Can somebody help me? Somebody who fit, like, maybe you think to yourself, I can jump really far in one single bound. Is anybody uh, feeling ambitious? Okay, come on, baby. All right. I'm going to move this over here because I want to see what you're made of. Hey, brother. All right, let's go. Joshua, famous for having shot over... Uh, a mile long, one single shot over a mile, and he hit a target this big. Come on. I mean, Joshua, I mean, if he can do that, if he can do that, Mr. Sniper here, surely he can do this jump. Okay. So set up right here. All right. I'm trying to gauge how many feet we got here. Three. Okay. Joshua, if you can jump, to right here in a single bound, I'm going to give you $2,000. Adam is going to give you 2000 
Adam is going to give you $2,000 if you can jump from in a single bound from where you are to the end of the stage, right? There's a line right here to right here. Nope, no step, single bound, no running head start. $2,000, Joshua. Come on. Oh, come on. <laughs> so close. Let's try again. Let's try again. Let's try again. Come on. All right. Let's try again. So let's line up. I mean, that was pretty good, though. Let's be honest. That was a good leap. That was real nice. All right. I'm going to give you one more competition, but I'm going to up the ante, and I'm going to up the price. I want to see if you can jump off of this stage. One single bound for $5,000. All right. Any, anybody think he can do it? Hey! You always have a friend in Mike. He's always got your back. All right. So one single bound, $5,000 on the line. Let's see you do it. Let's see what can happen. Woo! Come on. That's pretty good. Sorry, brother, but you didn't get it. I'm sorry. Thank you for your effort. You did, give it up for Joshua. Gosh, he did so good, though. Why? Why wouldn't I make it right here? Then he could have gotten the $2,000. If only I didn't have the $2,000. I'm super glad that he didn't get it. But at the end of the day, no matter how many times from that far away to here or to off of the stage, no matter how many times he attempted, how many of you know, he would have never, never made that leap. It's too significant, too big. He would have always fallen short. But for a second, Joshua, correct me if I'm wrong, for a second, when I said $2,000 to right here, you thought, I might, be, I might be able to get there. Yeah, I could get there. I feel like that is how a lot of us live our lives as it relates to us achieving or finding the moral standard that we're comfortable with. We're like, man, if it's, I mean, if it's just right there, then maybe if I like put, position my life well or get the right habits in place or put the right people around me, you know, I may just be able to achieve you know, perfection. I may not call it perfection, but at least the moral standard that I would say would be, I'm good with God. But we, what we see in the scripture right here is, for all have sinned, and we all fall short. Now, I don't think that anybody in the room would ever say they're the perfect one. Like, like my, I live my life in such a way that I'm perfect. Maybe the firstborns. Do I have any firstborns in the room? <laughs> okay, maybe the, maybe the firstborns. At times, I have moments of perfection, at least in my family. Um, but no one would ever really say that they're perfect. I have had countless conversations with people in our community from everything from atheist to agnostic to followers of Jesus. And even whenever I ask an atheist if they feel like, hey, do you feel like, man, like, like you live like a, 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 really, like a perfect life? Like even, let's just say you don't believe in sin, maybe, but let's say there is right and wrong. Would you say that you never do wrong? It's like, are you kidding me? Of course I do wrong. Okay, so even then you would say that you, whatever the standard is, you would say that you still fall short of whatever that standard is. 
Well, we believe from God's word and from scripture all the way from the beginning of time that God held a standard, a standard of obedience, a standard of respect, a standard of honor and of love. And no matter how hard we try, every single one of us in the house tonight, 100% of the time, we're going to fall short every single time. Like, let's just even say that even we do live a moral life. Let's say that we do have checks and balances to where we're trying to meet the standard. Well, guess what happens when you start living a moral life? You start becoming prideful that you're, hey, I'm a moral person. Well, guess what? Now, even in your morality, you slip into pride. That even in our good, we can still live in sin. This is the pursuit of perfection that we all strive for. I want to tell you, I want to talk about four postures of sin. Postures that I think that at least one of these we would all identify with at some level. And some we would probably say, that is just 100% me right now. So this is take a little of evaluation of these four different postures. The first is the posture of intelligence. Intelligence. And that is the posture of thinking you are a pure or holy life in order to achieve or earn salvation on your own apart from God. Checked all the boxes. I'm a good and I'm a moral person. Well, that's a posture of intelligence, analytical. Well, I mean, if I'm doing all the right things, surely I'm going to gain God's love and favor. That is still a posture of sin because that is a posture that it's all about you. Who's setting the standard? Well, you're setting the standard. And often you're not even meeting your own standard. Number two, it's ignorance. And that's having not studied the word of God to know what is disobedient and rebellion against God. Even though deep down we all have a sense of right and wrong, I was debating on whether or not to even put ignorance as one of the postures of sin. But I, I believe that it is. I've talk, my wife and I, even just this week, have talked to many in our city who were asking us questions about certain behaviors and certain things in their life, and they were saying, well, I mean, do you think this is a sin? And we're like, well, I mean, honestly, for us, you know, we believe the Bible. And so, yes, if we look to the Bible, let's talk about what the Bible says first. Do you believe the Bible? Well, yeah, I believe the Bible. Well, I encourage you to read the Bible and see what the Bible says and see if you believe the Bible says that's a sin. So I believe there actually is a significant amount of people that are living their life in sin who have just said, I just, let's, to be honest, I don't want to read the Bible because I just don't want to know what it says. I'd rather just live in ignorance and go about my life. And I think that's a lot of people. So we have intelligence and we have ignorance. And I think it's important to even draw a distinction. So up to this point in the book of Romans, what you're going to find in Romans chapter 1, all the way really up until chapter 3, verse 20, is you're going to find Paul outlining sin, detail. Like, this is sin. And he draws sin comparisons from the Jews and the Gentiles. And I find this really interesting. So the Gentiles had the written law. They had God's written law. They could follow it, and they didn't time and time again. So they had the intellect, they had the knowledge of it, and they didn't do it. But then you had the, Jew, the Gentiles who had God's law on their heart, who had a conscience, who still chose to not follow through and to not obey and not honor and respect God. 
So you have two different types of people here, both continued time and time again to rebel, to curse, to deny, to doubt, and to dishonor God. Then you have number three, indulgence. And this is the practice of allowing enjoyment of whatever is desired and embracing the consequences. It's why we keep eating cookies. It's why we keep eating ice cream and snacks. I highly encourage ice cream. You know, ice, ice cream and therapy. Those are two big things that I just want to encourage you in today. It will better your life. My wife and I had ice cream every night for like the first two years of our marriage. I'll get diabetes in 30 years, okay? I got time. But indulgence is the reality that we know it's a sin, but yet we just choose to do it anyways. And it's okay because I'll find forgiveness later. This is my season to just live it up. I remember walking with countless friends coming out of high school, going into college, who just said, this is my indulgence season. I'm going to go crazy in high school. I'm going to go crazy in college. And then God will forgive me, and I'll get my life settled after college. Here we are, 17 years later. <clears throat> and what you'll find is that, yes, they, they indulged. And did they have a lot of fun? Probably. For those that say sin is not fun, I think you might be doing it wrong. <laughs> Sin is fun for a season. Sin may be fun for a moment, but sin is not fun in the end. Sin is not joyful in the end. It does not bring about fruit in your life and growth in the end. But it can be fun. So sure, did they have fun? Sure. Did they make memories? Probably. I was there for a lot of them. But what, what you find as you begin to walk the journey with people, that people that live in the indulgent season, and they come in and out of the indulgent season of their sin, is that they're like, this is just my life. This is how it always ends up. It always seems to find me. No. <laughs> you've, you've made conscious decisions time and time again to disrespect, to disobey, and to rebel against God's call in your life and God's plan for your life. And as a shepherd and as a friend, it's hard to like walk with people on those journeys because, yeah, you think that it's just happenstance that these things are happening in your life while I'm watching from the outside saying you're actually just making decisions against God's plan for your life. And that's the reality of the indulgent season. I'll just, I'll find forgiveness later. Yes, a thousand percent you're going to find forgiveness. A thousand percent. God's already forgiven. Yes, a thousand percent you're going to be fine. God can work it out. Are there going to be consequences? Yes. Broken marriage? Yes. Divorce? Yes. Addiction? Potentially. Broken relationship after broken relationship? Yes. But God will forgive you. And the fourth is impotence. Impotence is the trait of refusing to repent. I know it's true. And it's not even, a, it's not even the posture, I'm just going to indulge in it. It's more or less the posture of, I'm just going to turn my back to it, do what I want anyways. This is bullheadedness, this is self-will, this is stubbornness. This is, I know, and I'm never going to do anything about it. So you have intelligence, ignorance, indulgence, and impotence. As far as a posture of sin, which is the one that you feel like you tend 
to be drawn more towards. You know, it's okay to take a second just to kind of think about that, marinate on that. Because we've all established that none of us are perfect. <clears throat> we've also established that none of us even come close to the standard of holiness that God has called us to. So at some time or another, we are landing in one of these categories. So here we're living in sin. We have a certain posture towards our sin. We acknowledge that there are certain consequences of our sin. But one of the things that we haven't talked about yet is, we've talked about the temporary consequences of our sin, but we haven't talked about the most significant consequence of our sin. Sure, if you, if you sin and, and you had a terrible night and you found yourself like drunk on a street corner, don't not remain, if that, was, if that was your situation, sure, there's consequences with that, no doubt. But that is nothing compared to the consequence of living in your sin apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ and having separation from a holy God. That is the consequence of sin that to me is most terrifying. Not only am I living in my sin, not only do I not have hope, but I also don't have a relationship with the Father because if we fall short of his glory and we fall short of his standard, then as we see all the way from the beginning of the fall in Genesis, what we see is that there was a broken relationship happened there because God cannot be with sinful nature. What good has sin produced in your life? Think about this. Let's just dig our heels deep into the sin of your life the times that you know you disobeyed or disrespected what God was telling you to do, the relationship that you got into that you just know that God did not want you in that relationship, the time that you knew God was asking you to invest your resources into the kingdom of God, and you said, I just, boom, I don't want to do it. This is my stimulus check. You know what I'm saying? It's not really income, so but you knew that God was calling you. What good has sin produced in your life? I mean, it could be even something as sim like simple and as fundamental as you got angry, which is not great. Lie. Who would say that, you know, there was, there was this one time, there was this one time that somebody lied to me and you know, I was just really grateful. You know, I just... I really didn't want them to tell me the truth anyways, and so just, just lying has just really produced, on occasion, produced a lot of fruit in my life. Who would say that? Nobody would say that. Why? Because the author of sin is Satan, and he has one priority in your life, to steal, to kill, and to destroy your life. Doesn't that sound like an enemy? So if his tactic is sin and temptation, on your life, then no sin is going to produce joy in your life. No sin is going to produce fulfillment and significance and satisfaction in your life. Never. It may, for, it may be fun for a minute, but it's never going to feel satisfying and ultimately forgiving. How many of you have ever sinned? Okay, all hands go up. 
And immediately after you knew you had sinned, you felt terrible about it. You're like, ugh, I felt bad. I shouldn't have said it that way or I got angry. This is me in a constant state with my kids. They do something and I'm like, why does your room look like that? And then I come to them later and I'm like, hey, I, uh, sorry I yelled. I don't want to be like known for that. Super sorry that I yelled. Did not mean to body slam you. <laughs> that hard. Definitely meant the body slam. But like the elb, that at the end was just over the top. Um, I'm constantly apologizing to, to my kids over and over and over again because the sin and the anger and the characteristics that I portray, I just, I feel guilty about. Because I know that that is not going to produce life in my kids. It's not going to produce life in me. Sin never leads to an abundant life. But Jesus does. So this is where we go from the, the bad to the ugly, and then we're going to get to the good. This is where we go from bad to worst. You ready? So consequence of sin is there's going to be temporary consequences. There's, there could potentially be guilt and shame. And then the worst, we're going to have separation from a holy God, okay? So far, it's really bad. Sin is just killing us, stealing us, and destroying our life. But then the third thing is that sin leads to death. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Oh, there's some good news for you on a Sunday at 4 p.m., okay? We're all sinners. We're all going to suffer consequences of sin, and our sin ultimately leads to death. Now, I want us just to, like, take a pause for, like, two seconds, and I want us to, I want us to sit in that. We've sinned against a holy God who has a standard of purpose and a plan for our life. Yes, we don't even come close to measuring up to his standard. That sin ultimately... The penalty of that sin is death. So, God, I've sinned. I get it. Like, talk about not being worthy of love, of forgiveness, of grace. Like, from a, a holy God, I get it. Take my life. Like, I'm yours. Do with me whatever you want. Like, so if the penalty is death, what would the payment be? Payment would also be death. If you look at the passage, it says, For all have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. It says, They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There is so much theology packed into two verses right there. We're all sinners, we all fall short of His glorious standard. Then it says that we are justified. That word justified means it's, it's like a courtroom when somebody declares you justified. You're not made justified through your deeds. You can't earn justification. You can't strive for justification. You can't jump your way into God's good pleasure. God, I worked really hard this week. I served and I gave you money. Love me. It doesn't work like that. If anything, that's the exact opposite of what God is calling you to do. 
You are justified. You're not made righteous. You are justified. You are declared righteous. You're not made justified. You're declared justified. And it says freely. You are justified freely. How many of you know that it, would, it may be free, but it 100% was not cheap? If, our, if the wages of sin is death, then what happens? Either we take the death or somebody stands in our place. And that is the whole message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's why we gather. It's why we're here. Is no matter what sermon we're preaching in the Bible, it always comes back to this. Man, it always feels like you preach the same message. It's kind of true. It just kind of always circles back to we kept sinning. We kept turning our backs on God. No matter how clear he tried to make it, no matter how clear he presented himself to us, we still choose our way, choose our way, choose our way. But God loves us so much that though we deserve death, deserve shame, guilt, we deserve what, whatever we get, we deserve because we turn our back on him. He still pursues us time and time and time again. I've gone too far. God could never love me. I've sinned too much. He's forgiven me too much. Why do I feel like every day I screw up and have to ask for his forgiveness? Well, that's everybody. Daily I die. Daily his mercies are made new every single morning. You're not disqualified. You never have been. But that time and time again, he justifies you freely by his Grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. Let's say it one more time. Grace. What is grace? Grace is God's unconditional love and his unmerited favor on your life. We all want love. And all of the love that we pursue and all of the relationships is highly conditional, is it not? Friendships, relationships, dating, engagements, marriage. It's, it's so conditional. It's kind of like you're didn't really love me well today, so I don't know that I'm going to love you back. You didn't really treat me well today. I'm not really feeling loved. And it's so conditional. But God's love is not conditional. He freely gives. It's called agape love. This overwhelming, undeserved love on your life over and over and over again. I, I like to say that everybody, everybody in the world wants to be seen, known, Loved and needed. Seen, known, loved, and needed. And we strive for this in every area of our life. Will somebody see me? Can somebody just acknowledge me? Can somebody be grateful for me or want me in a room and really see who I am? I mean, I may be known, but I'm not seen. So then we're seen. And well, I may be seen, but I'm not really loved. And so we have this desire. I want to tell you that in Jesus Christ, you are known, seen, loved, and needed every second of every day unconditionally, no matter how many times you turn your back on him, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He won't walk away. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. John 14, 6, Jesus said this. He said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Romans 5a, but God shows his love. God 
demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, you mean that God was thinking of me when we were on the cross? Whose cross do you think that was? That was our cross. Whose nails do you think that was? Those were our nails. What about the guilt and the shame that God endured as he went to the cross where he was stripped naked, where he was beaten, where he was mocked, where he had the crown of thorns put on his head? We were the ones that turned our back on him, yet he in his love sent his one and only son to stand in the gap to take our place. How much more can I say this? We deserved death. Eternal separation from us. We turned our back on him. He never turned our back on us. Instead, he pursues us. And even in John, it says that even now, he's drawing us in. I think that it's extremely difficult for us. And sin and Romans 3.23, it's never one of the passages where you're like, man, I can't wait to preach on sin. I love this message. This is so fun. No, Nobody wants to preach the sin message. It's just not fun. But I don't believe that we can truly rest in his finished work on the cross when he said it is finished. Like, like if you haven't fully rested in the reality of your sin, how can you really celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord? How do you even understand what it means when he said it is finished? What is finished? All of this was finished. All of your sin was finished. All of your guilt and shame that you're not measuring up enough was finished here. All of the feelings of insignificance, the grief and the pain and the anger, all of this was finished here. And I just think, especially as we're looking ahead at Easter, I think it's so critical that we take a pause here in Romans 3.23 to say, for all have sinned and we all fall short. God, thank you for your death. Thank you for Good Friday. Thank you for your resurrection. I want to posture my heart. I want to prepare my heart so that I can live every day with the reality of my sin present so that I can live with the reality of his grace washing over me fresh anew every minute of every day. Even as I walk into this building, as I walked into Riverside this morning, I said, God, forgive me of my sin. Isn't it so interesting that when we confess our sins to God, we make it so generic? Have you ever thought about this? How many, does anybody else do that? Like nobody really likes to be specific with God, but you're kind of like, God, forgive me of my sins. And then you're kind of like, man, I hope he doesn't really know what I did. God knows your sin. He knows the times that you've disobeyed, disrespected, dishonored, and separated yourself from him. He already knows every little detail of it. Then why are we so afraid? If we know that God is omniscient and omnipresent and all of these omnis, God is all of the omnis. If we know that, then why are we so scared to come to him with the truths and the specific realities of our sin? Because we think that he's going to treat us just like our father treated us think that he's going to treat us just like our mom treated us or like our lack of the father treated us or we think that he's going to treat us like we treat our kids he's going to shame us what if he doesn't love us anymore that couldn't be any more further from the reality of what actually happens 
That's not the love of the Father. In 1 John 1.9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think for some of you in the house today, you need a fresh confession. God, I looked at pornography. God, I lusted after somebody in the store today. God, I was greedy. God, I was angry. God, I was prideful. God, I've been talking about somebody behind their back. God, I've been addicted to a substance that I need to let go of. Some of us need to do some serious confession in our hearts today. And we need to understand and realize that as we go before God, we're not going to find guilt. We're not going to find shame, but we're going to find love. And we're going to find forgiveness. And we're going to find healing. And we're going to find freedom. Whatever is going on in your world today, whatever anxiety, anger, depression, whatever it is, whatever it is in your life today, know that you can take it to the Father. There is nothing that you're going through that he hasn't also been acquainted with. You're lonely, he's been lonely. He realized he walked this earth. You feel like you're being persecuted, he was persecuted. You feel like you've had people turn your back on you, he had people turn his back on him. He's well acquainted with our grief and our pain and our struggle, and he wants to walk with you on that I can promise you this. You can spend the rest of your life pursuing happiness in every avenue. Fame, fortune, following, those seems to be the big three. Or you can finally, for the, maybe for the first time, come to the end of yourself and find life. We like to say, I want to come to self to find life. The more I know me, the more that I can truly start to really have a better life. Actually, the more you know Jesus, you really begin to find yourself for the first time. And as you begin to find yourself for the first time, you begin to experience life. If you would bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to say a prayer. And this is just a prayer of confession. So maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Then today, it's a good day. I'd like to say it's as easy as ABC acknowledging your sin, believing that Jesus was raised from the grave and confessing Jesus as Lord. Coming to Jesus, easy as ABC. And I want to I lead us through a very simple prayer of just confession, of acknowledging that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose from the grave. And that's why we're here today. And maybe if you're a believer, I think that Oftentimes, whenever I preach a message of just straight, specific gospel, I think to myself, we've heard this a thousand times, and guess what? We need to hear it another thousand times. The good news of the gospel should never get old in our life, but if anything, we should say, I needed that one more time. That was a message for me today. So I'm going to pray a prayer. If you're here in the house and you agree with this prayer, then I would love if you would pray this prayer out loud with me. Say, Jesus... I confess that I have sinned against you. I've disobeyed you. And I've done my own thing. Today I want to say I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you for loving me even though I don't deserve it. 
Thank you for loving me, even though I feel unworthy. Thank you for your grace. I believe that you were raised from the dead and that in you I have life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for setting me free. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, I hope you just feel a little bit lighter, a little bit fresher. And maybe if you prayed that prayer today and you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but you prayed that prayer today, then I want to say welcome to the family. You're like, could it be as simple as a prayer? Yes. Scripture says that it is the free gift of salvation, not of work so that nobody can boast. Jesus wants to give you the gift of his love. And all you have to do is receive it and say yes. I want to invite you to go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to have a prayer team that is going to be here at the front of the altar. And I want to invite you to do two things. Two things. During this song that we sing, which is an amazing song, I love this song. It's such a good reflective song. So sure, you can sing. I would love if you sing this song. That sounds great. But more than singing this song, I would love if you would just take the moment. And if there is anything in your life that you want to confess, anything in your life that you just want to fall at the feet of the Father and just say, God, I want to confess this before you. I've been living this way. I want to turn. I want to find freedom. Then I want you just to come to the altar. You're like, why would I go to an altar? Sounds so old school. Actually, I think it's not old school. I think that when you step out into the altar, there's, at least for me anyways, there's almost a public confession that happens in your heart that humbles you to say, God, I need you. So I want to invite you to come down to the altar, fall on your knees, pray before God as the song plays. And if you want, the second thing is if you want someone to pray with you, I want you to come grab somebody from our prayer team. And I know that they would be happy to pray with you. Let's pray. God, I just pray that we would not only hear this word, but that we would apply it to our lives. So let us not be hearers only of this big idea of confession, but let us be people that actually confess, people that fall at your feet, your holy and precious feet, and say, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. Wash me. Cleanse me. And we know, we know, we know that as you look down, Father, you don't see the sins. Father, you look down and those that believe and those that have put their faith and trust in you, and you see the blood of your Son. You see righteousness. So, Father, we can come before you in full confidence as your sons, as your daughters, knowing that you're going to meet us right where we are, and you're going to make us new. So thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, head on over to pinewoodboulder.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. And if you'd like to be notified every time we post new content, then subscribe. And remember, just keep coming back.